0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to Coach's Corner. Always so wonderful to have you here. I love this conversation that I have with Dr. Gloria Mark today because we're talking about the impact of technology. Ooh that is a big one. Technology impacts our life in amazing ways. It makes so many things so much easier, but it also can have some downsides. So this conversation with Dr. Gloria Mark is one that I think we all need to start having with ourselves and in our home about how we want to use technology, how we depend too much on technology, how we are killing brain cells with technology, potentially relationships, being in the present moment. And I'm not here to say technology is bad, you're listening to my show on a technological device.
1: But sometimes I just
0: want to go back to the 90s when we didn't have so much because it just seems overwhelming at times. So I think you'll really appreciate this conversation with Dr. Gloria. Before we dive in, I want to invite you to our next group coaching night, which is going to be On Tuesday, March 21st at 7.30 p.m., I'm going to be talking about prosperity, money, and abundance. It seems like there's just a lot of tension with money right now. I'm hearing about it from a lot of people, clients, peers. People really seem to be struggling and a bit in a pinch, and even people that normally have flow are feeling a little bit contraction. And I think there's something going on in the collective and we'll talk a little bit about that. More importantly, I'll give you specific tips on how you can increase your prosperity consciousness, how you can shift your relationship with money. And then of course, as always, I'll take questions and you can have the opportunity to have hot seat coaching. If you can't make it live March 21st, 7.30 PM central time, then you can always access the recording. It is only $20 and spending 20 bucks on your wealth consciousness is basically a great investment in your wealth consciousness. You can go to christinehasslercom group to register and get all the additional details. Again, Hassler slash group to register. So let me tell you a little bit more about our guest today. Dr. Gloria Mark studies the impact of digital media on people's lives, their attention spans, multitasking, distraction, mood, and behavior when they use their computers and smartphones. She also studies the future of work and how remote work impacts how we use our devices. She has so many credentials. She's the chancellor's professor of informatics at the University of California. We talk about what that is in the interview. She's got her PhD. She regularly publishes in top conferences and journals in her field. She speaks all over. She's been in lots Of magazines and TV shows and all the things. She knows her stuff. And I was so excited to talk to her. I want to thank my sponsor for this week, which is Organifi. Today I want to talk to you about their green juice. So one of the biggest complaints I've heard about green drinks is that they taste bad. (laughs) Most green drinks taste like you threw grass clippings and dirt into a glass of water. The good news is Organifi green is not like that. When you take a sip of it, you'll be surprised at how good it tastes without any crapola in it. It's amazing and refreshing, and you don't have to mix a lot of other stuff in it to mask the taste. It's awesome just in water. So if you wanna get the vitamins and minerals you need every day, while not having to necessarily eat every single veggie and want it to be cheaper than buying a bunch of organic vegetables as well, you can subscribe and save, get all the organic nutrients you need for as low as 198 a day, or just order what you need when you need it. Go to Organifi.com slash over it use the promo code over it for 20% off. All right. And now on to my interview with Dr. Gloria Mark. Gloria, welcome to the show. I'm so excited about this conversation with you.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, I read this in the bio, but I I don't think a lot of people will know what it means. I didn't know. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right. When I went to college, I didn't have an informatics. Is that how you pronounce it? That's it? Department at all. So I'm curious when this department started. You're the Chancellor's Professor of Informatics at the University of California. Tell us what that means, when it came about, and how it relates to the work that you do.
1: Yeah. So, you know, we're part of the School of Computer Science. And, you know, computer science has just permeated so many areas of our lives you you can't just think about computer science in terms of coding or building hardware and so it's really important to think about how people relate to computers so informatics really is about the intersection of computers and people and it's about how people use computers how society has influenced the way people use computers how things have changed it also refers to design of computers and how they affect how people use them so it's it's really about this combination of people and computers. And it's a pretty new kind of university department. There's not too many universities that have this kind of focus in their studies.
0: Yeah, because we either study people or computers, not right. people and computers. Right. Why? I mean, I can make up a bunch of reasons, but why is it so important to study the relationship between people and computers? Well, because, you know, our
1: lives have changed so much that it's it's really hard in so many ways to separate ourselves from our technology, our computers and phones are the tools of our digital age, right? You know, in the same way that we relied on other kinds of tools, um, you know, in, in past generations, in, in our current generation, our our computers and phones are. I mean, think about when we drive, we we use GPS. If you want to communicate with someone, you text or email it's very often in conversations google enters our conversations i'm not saying this is necessarily a good thing but someone will inevitably say oh let's look this up on google i don't have an answer for it
0: right or use so, it as a verb you know or use it as a <laughs> I'm googling as a right now i'm googling so, that it, right now
1: yeah, yeah we're we're just so intertwined with our tools our computers and phones that you know it's just hard to separate from that from ourselves. Yeah.
0: And what impact? I mean, I don't I don't know how old you are, but I'm I'm in my midlife and so I remember a time when we had cords on phones and VCRs and fax machines and I had computers in my school growing up, but we had a computer lab and it was, you know, the black screen with the green writing. So I remember what life was like with before technology, and although technology has been very convenient, sometimes I want to go back to the 80s and 90s. It just seems like a lot simpler. I'd still love to have Waze or some of my GPS. But other than that, I could live without a lot of things. What impact do you think so much technology – well, I guess this is two separate questions because technology and screen time can be two separate conversations. So I'd love for you to – and I know it's a big, big question, but maybe you can just give me the highlights. What impact do you think our, our use of technology and all the time we spend on screens has had on people and relationships?
1: Yeah, that's that's a huge question. So, you know, one big way is that it, it's had an impact on our attention. Mm-hmm. And our attention spans have become measurably shorter in length with the rise of the digital age. There's there's also an impact on just the way we do work. We we tend to multitask, we we try to do two things at the same time, two or more things, this is very much related to our um, short attention spans. But, you know, I also want to emphasize that um, computing has brought us benefits, so it's not all bad. You know, we can connect with our loved ones, our friends. We can find information, say medical information. We can learn about news. I mean, there, there have been so many benefits that computing has brought into our lives it's just that i think it's really important that we maintain a balance you know we don't want to be overstressed we don't want to have our attention spans get any shorter than they already are so we we need to strike a balance
0: Well, and in, I mentioned your book in the intro, Attention Span, and one of the things that jumped out on me is that our attention span on any screen is 47 seconds. That's not very long. It's not even a full minute. What's happened to yeah, our attention span <laughs> over the years? I mean, I'm surprised, you know, you know, we're already five minutes in. How come people are still listening? Are they multitasking when they're listening? To what's happened to our attention spans? And is there hope? So
1: first of all, there there is hope. So I, I am optimistic. I first started studying attention spans back in 2004, and at the time, we found they averaged about two and a half minutes on any screen. And of course, so many things have happened since 2004, right? I mean, Facebook was started in 2003, and then there was just an explosion of all kinds of other social media platforms and then the smartphone came along, the iPhone was invented or was deployed in 2007. So we have so many new and different sources of interruptions that came into our lives. So it's it's not surprising that our attention has just been pulled in so many different directions. And we know that when people switch their attention fast, it's associated with stress. In fact, we know that it, it causes stress. So this has also been a um, <laughs> an effect of, of the digital age.
0: How do we, so for people that have trouble keeping their attention or focusing their attention, what can we do to up our attention span so we're not distracted so easily?
1: Yeah. So you know, a lot of what we do when we use our devices, it's very unconscious. So, you know, when we grab our phones, it's it's really automatic. And when we, you know, change our screens to check social media or news or email, very often that comes from, you know, some there's some urge inside of us and we just respond automatically and we do it. And so, the problem is that we've developed all these these kinds of habits and you know we we don't think about them we just react when we have these urges and so the important thing is to make these kinds of unconscious behaviors more conscious and if we can bring them into our conscious awareness then we we can be intentional with them and we can we can act on them we can change and so the, the very first step is to become more aware of the behaviors we're doing. Mm-hmm. So how can we do that? So what I do for a living is study and observe people. And so I'm, you could say I'm a professional observer of people. And I, I learned how to become uh, the same kind of observer on myself. So observing my own actions. So, you know, instead of turning my attention outward to other people, I began to turn my attention on myself to become more aware of my own actions. And so whenever I have an urge to switch screens, I I probe myself and I ask myself, do I need to check social media right now? Do I need to check news? And chances are no. And I'll also ask myself, why do I feel like I have to check news right now? And it's usually because I'm bored with what I'm doing or because I'm procrastinating. I I just don't feel like diving into work right now. And when I understand the reasons, then I can take action. And then I can say to myself, ah, you know. I, I'm just putting off work that I need to do. So let me just dive in and do it. Sometimes we might uh, be tired and we need a break. So we can probe ourselves, you know, do do I feel exhausted? Do I need a break? And this has been so useful for me because I used to work straight through and get exhausted. And then I really paid the price for for being so exhausted. And so now I've learned to recognize in myself through this kind of probing when I when I start to feel tired, when I need a break, when it's time for me to step back and replenish my attentional resources. And so that's um, you know that's that's what I've learned to do. And this kind of probing can become second nature. You know, it, it might seem a little bit awkward at first and you might forget to do it but when you start doing it for a while it it just becomes second nature and mm. it's like a muscle that you develop
0: yeah and i i love that and i know for a lot of people listening how hard that is that that level of self awareness and that level not just awareness but of self discipline because i think that there's there's two things that happen one it's hard for us to pay attention we only have 47 seconds we quote unquote, multitask, but I don't think anyone can actually multitask, which will i want to ask you about as well. And then there's the boredom thing where you can get sucked into Instagram for 47 minutes. And, <laughs> and so it's the other extreme of going into almost this hypnotic state where we're so in our phone, we can't pay attention to anything else. So I get the short attention span, but I'd also love to talk about when we get into this rabbit hole. And like, and this happened to me. And it, sometimes it happens at night where I should be sleeping. My baby's finally asleep. I'm exhausted. I go on Instagram to maybe look at something else. And then 45 minutes later, I'm like, what have I just done for the past 45 minutes? All of a sudden, I know so much about the royal family that I didn't really even want to. I didn't start by looking at that, but I went down some Instagram rabbit hole. And 45 minutes later, I'm here. So I know there's boredom and I know there's distraction, but what's happening in our brain when we get so sucked into something that we actually aren't paying attention to anything else?
1: Yeah. So you know the forty-seven seconds—it's an average. That means sometimes we do spend longer periods of attention on things, and sometimes shorter. In fact, the the median length is forty seconds, and that means that half of all of the observations uh are that people spend 40 se- 40 seconds or less on any screen but it also means half the observations are longer so yes we we get sucked into rabbit holes and the reason why we you know are so glued to sites like TikTok or Instagram is because we're we're getting rewards from from watching videos or reading posts. And the rewards don't happen every single time. Like every single TikTok video is, is not hilarious. I'm, I'm using TikTok as an example because, you know, the videos are, they're mostly pretty short and some of them have surprises at the end. And I know that, you know, there's really quite a bit of TikTok users out there but there's something called a a variable reward schedule in psychology and what that means is that you're not rewarded after every single video that you watch or every single post that you read, but randomly you get a reward. Randomly, along comes some video that's just hysterical and that's what keeps us tied to these sites because we're waiting for that next hilarious video to come along. And so we're, we're anticipating it, right? It's like when we play the slot machine in Las Vegas. You know you, you know that every single time you pull that lever, you're not going to get uh, a reward. But you know randomly at some point it's going to happen. And so that's why people stay there for so long for hours because they're anticipating that reward that's coming. And that's, that's what happens to us when we're on social media.
0: Yeah. It really is mind numbing in so many ways. I can, I can never say that spending 30 minutes or even five minutes on Instagram made my life better. <laughs> you know, like, it just, it just really didn't versus reading a book or going to bed or go giving my husband a hug, all those things who be better choices. But it's, especially when you're tired and it's just an easy, thing. And like you said, it's habitual. It's habitual. And I see it especially with people, and I hate labels. I don't really like to use them, but sometimes labels help us understand a certain, you know, pattern of behavior. So I notice, especially with people who may say I have ADD or ADHD, that there's even more of an addiction to grabbing the phone every five seconds or, you know, every time you have a moment. And it's just, an I've noticed it's just an interesting um, juxtaposition of people that maybe have trouble focusing, but constantly also want that distraction as well. And what I'm curious about is long term in your research, what's the impact both on our, and we we talked about this a little bit before, but I want to dive into it a little deeper. And then I want to talk about how we can have some healthy boundaries with technology. What's the the impact of that constant? checking. Because there's the diving into social media and then looking at TikTok and everything. But there's also that constant anticipation. Who text? Who liked my posts? Let me check my email. That, that constant like being sucked in and nervousness. Like people, you know, I've had people you know, show up to events and freak out because they can't find their phone or they lost their phone. Like, it's like losing an arm. So what's, <laughs> that, what's that doing to us mentally and emotionally? yeah
1: it's it's causing us stress. and it's um it's using up our attentional resources. we We have limited attentional resources. And you know i I like to think of the metaphor of you know you start your day with a tank of attentional resources. they're they're limited. they're finite. And throughout the day, we do things that can drain this tank of resources. Uh, we also do things that can replenish them, like taking breaks. But you know, when we're switching our attention so fast between different things, you know, our work and email, and phone calls, and uh, and texting, we're allowing this tank of mental resources to to leak. And we're because every time you switch your attention. It's using some of those resources, and I I'll, I'll explain in a minute what I mean by that. But you know, it takes away resources that we need to actually do our work. So we we're, we're it's a disadvantage for us. We're we're our tank is leaking, and uh, we're not using our attentional resources efficiently. And so, let me explain what happens in in our minds. You know, so we can open up the mind's black box and uh, see what happens. So every every time you switch attention, it's like imagine that you have a whiteboard inside of your mind. And whenever we do some kind of task, we we need information for that task. We have information in our mind, and think of it as you write that information on this whiteboard in your mind. So if if I'm writing an article. I have information about what's the topic I want to write about, you know, who are the people involved, what what is the data that I want to use. So I, I have this idea, and then suddenly I switch to check email. I'm erasing that whiteboard, and then I'm rewriting new information in my mind that I need in order to deal with my email. And so our days of switching attention so fast is Erasing and rewriting on that whiteboard in our mind, and and that uses up potential resources, and it also creates stress. Um, and we also make more errors when we switch our attention mm-hmm. so fast.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, I've seen that in my life so much, especially with learning how to be a mom and an entrepreneur, because I mm-hmm. work from home. So right before this interview. I was feeding my daughter lunch and putting her down. And then I have, you know, hour, hour and a half till she wakes up, I feed her again, then jump back in. And I've made a lot of mistakes because I've just been diverting my attention so much. And I think what you said is just so important because I don't think we know that we have a limited tank. I think people understand they get tired, but I think that's going to be a really mic drop, drop moment for a lot of people of oh, I've only got a certain tank of attention. Do I want to use it on scrolling TikTok or do I want to use it on writing an article or reading a book or really dropping into a conversation with somebody I love? So I think that's one thing for a great takeaway, that and really pausing and asking ourselves, what am I doing right now? Am I distracting myself? is there something else that i actually want to do more not just should but want to do more i'm also wondering what you think of having timers and limits on our phone like i know there's an instagram setting that you can set so that it only allows you a certain amount per day on instagram do you think those things are helpful or do you think it's more helpful to have more self discipline around where we put our attention
1: yeah so i'm i advocate that people should learn to do things themselves so there you know we can use software to put limits on on sites that we look at but it's like having training wheels on your bike and you never learn how to ride the bike in in the end and so i think it's so much more important for people to learn their own strategies and to be empowered to have control over their own attention Um, We we have to get agency and, Mm. you know, no one should feel that they can't do it. Of course, everyone can do it. It's 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 not true. Um, Some people are born with a better ability for self-regulation. Those are very lucky people. Uh, A lot of people aren't born that way. So they they don't have a trait of good self-regulation, but it doesn't mean they should Despair. They they can develop good self regulation. There there are ways to do it. So um, I I do think that it's really important for people to develop their own agency. I th- I think people will feel more empowered if if they do it. They they will feel more in control. Um, I I do think humans have free will to make choices. Yeah, I agree and you know if you have software that's acting as the agent for you then it doesn't allow us to exert our our right. own free will
0: and then you're just more dependent on technology which is the whole point yep. we're trying to yeah another thing i really liked about your book and found interesting is the the four different types of attention can you briefly go mm-hmm. over those four different types and maybe give us examples
1: sure so you know most people tend to think of attention as being in two states you're you're focused or unfocused and you know as i was studying this i began to realize that you can be engaged in something and and really challenged like if i'm writing an article you know I, or if i'm reading something i i really have to use some kind of mental effort to do that but other times you know we can do things where we're really engaged and there's, we don't exert a lot of effort at all. So, uh, playing solitaire online or, um, my, uh, I love favorite, solitaire. Yeah. I will just
0: say <laughs> my, I played solitaire so much during COVID. It was ridiculous. And my pregnancy, I am, it's very calming to my nervous system and I actually win quite often. So I love yeah. that. Game.
1: <laughs> well, uh, you know, I'm going to argue It's not bad within limits to play these kinds of simple games. But anyways, you know, a lot of times we do things that are, we're really engaged in it, but it's easy for us. And I call this rote attention. It's, you know, simple, doing simple activities. Now, if we're not engaged in something and not at all challenged, then that's a state of boredom, which you might expect. Uh, so you know, just lots of times we're bored when we're waiting. is a great example of of being bored. And then when we're challenged with something, but we're not at all engaged, I call that a state of frustration. We we've all experienced that. When when I have a tech problem, I I'm really challenged by it. I am just not at all engaged with trying to fix it. I have a hard time focusing my attention to get this fixed because it's it's just pretty hard. Uh, but I have to, you know, I, if I want to use my computer, I have to fix the tech problem. So these are the four kinds of attention, being focused, rote attention, boredom, and frustration. And, and people switch among these different kinds of attention throughout the day. And it turns out that for the focused part type of attention, there's rhythms. So people have times of peak focus. Uh, for most people, it's mid to late morning. And then again, there's a peak mid to uh, mid afternoon, 2 to 3 p.m. So it's really important for people to be aware of when their peak focus times are. And, and these times differ d- depending on your chronotype. So if you're an early type, you're someone who likes to get up really early, your peak focus, of course, is going to be earlier in the day than, than the average times that I talked about, which was mid-morning. If you're a late type and you sleep in late, you, you'll reach your peak later in the day. And so it's really important to understand when your times of peak focus are, um, how can you do this? Well, you know, you can do this by getting a, a greater sense of awareness by, by sort of listening to yourself and and understanding how much is in your tank of attentional resources. Is it full? Do you, do you feel really alert? You're you're able to um, uh, focus your attention. You're you're able to do something challenging uh that's that's when you're at your peak. And when you start to um when your attention starts to decline, that's when um your your mind is wandering more. It's when you start reading things two times or three times, they're not really making sense to you. That's that's when your attentional resources are starting to decline. And that's the time, even even before then, before you get to that point, you need to pull back and let yourself replenish taking a significant break or or switching your attention mm. to something that's doing an activity that's more rote yeah for example
0: yeah i'm i'm such a morning person like my sweet spot is first thing in the morning for sure that's been difficult cuz that's really the time i love to spend with my daughter and so i've been trying to work in the afternoons and i've noticed a difference um, in that. And you know, I think it's it's just working with who we are and the way that, that we work best and knowing that and not trying to force ourselves to be a morning person or a night person. Um, and we're all different. Like you said, we all have different flows. We all have different chronotypes. And a chronotype for those that don't know has to do with like, um, well, you can probably define it better, but my understanding is like what time you wake up if you're more a morning person or a night person, how you sleep, how much sleep you need, what time of day you're at your peak. Um did I define it pretty yeah. well?
1: Yeah, so everyone has an individual body rhythm. Mm. And you mm-hmm. know, it's it, and as you said exactly, you know, for some people they're early types, um they they get up, they have all this energy in the morning. For others they this doesn't work for them. Uh, they need some more time before their um, yeah. attention gets gets to its peak. Yeah. So it's it's very individual. It's very personalized. Um, there are uh, d- tests that you can take to determine your chronotype. There's something called the morningness eveningness questionnaire. You can find it online and take it. But but I suspect. Most people probably have a pretty good idea of what their chronotype is.
0: Yeah. Well, this this next topic I'm dying to talk to you about, which is technology and kids. So Mm. I, you know, I was like, I'm not showing my daughter a screen, you know, until whatever. And there's a lot of things I think I said before I had a kid. And then (laughs) it's like, oh, I'm eating my words for a lot of things. So an example is she had, when she was um, seven months old, she got an, a little sore that got infected on her face, right on her cheek. And I had to put this antibiotic cream on that she couldn't touch because it was toxic, and then put a band aid over it. Now, that's very hard to do with a seven month old who's swatting all around. And I didn't want to pin her down either to do it, you know? And so I was like, I'm just going to show her videos of babies, babies laughing, babies smiling, and see if it can get her to sit still so I can get this antibiotic cream on. Oh my gosh, Gloria. I put that screen on <laughs> and she was catatonic. And it would sit so still and I could get the cream on and I could get the bandaid on and it was kind of scary because she was just 7 months old had never I mean she's seen our phones and we haven't had TVs totally off but for the most part there's there's really not a lot of screens around her. Um because if there is her eyes immediately go to it. But it was terrifying a little bit to see and I was also relieved cuz I could get the antibiotic cream on I relieved that like I found something that worked without pinning her down. But in the back of my mind, I was like, what am I doing to her mind? Am I screwing up my kid? And I will say, and this is cheating and I, you know, might be judged by this, but the other time I will use it is when I need to cut her fingernails because getting her to sit still and cut those little fingernails is really hard sometimes. And if I just show her some babies, she'll sit still. I get it done in a minute Where versus it being a fight. And I'm sure, you know, all kinds of parents have advice and, you know, we all we all have our own, you know, parenting judgment and so on and so forth. But my question for you is one, how damaging is it for kids to see screens? And second, like, what do we do? They live in a digital world. They're going to be unavoidable. How do we balance it out so that, you know, they're, they're not, um, totally banned from it, but they're also not totally dependent on it. It, it's such a great question. So, so First of all, Christine,
1: I I don't think it's going to harm your baby <laughs> to look, look at a screen for those short amounts of time. And it sounds like it's uh, it certainly helped you to to do that. Um, and there was, you know, certainly there were very good reasons why you did that. Um, I, I do not think it's a good idea for kids to uh, spend much time at all on screens um you know and it's it it really upsets me that young kids you know even from the ages of 2 to 4 spend a, a good amount of hours per day mm-hmm. on screens most of those time it's it's watching videos um i i just don't think it's good because it teaches them that this is normal behavior yeah to to be on screens um the the other thing you know even when kids get older you know up through early teens there's there's a part of the mind that's not yet developed um well and it's called executive function and you can think of this as the the governor of our mind and it's the part of our mind that helps us self-regulate helps us prioritize decide you know what's the important thing to do next and that's not mat- mature in in kids and we're putting them in front of screens and we're, you know, giving them the opportunity to, you know, look at anything on the web or, you know, and and we're not teaching them how to develop these self-regulation skills. We're not giving yeah. them the opportunity for this part of their brain, the executive function to mature properly and you know there there have been studies that um that this you know it's going to sound very sad but you know there are studies shown that when kids are exposed to fast paced videos you know so that's where the the shots are changing very quickly
0: yeah
1: uh, um they they did one study where kids were exposed to those videos there was another uh group of kids who just did drawing and the the kids who were exposed to the fast paced videos um had did much worse on tasks that involved any kind of self control or self regulation
0: how much exposure so, are we talking about hours a day 5 minutes a day cuz i think when we say exposure it's like well, what what does exposure yeah. mean yeah so you're you're absolutely
1: right we we live in a digital age we we can't cut away from it completely but I think for for kids, uh, we do need to set screen time limits. You know, if if kids need to use computers for their homework, there's not much we can do about it. Yeah. But I I would most certainly set limits on screen time, say to 30 minutes a day, uh, not more than that. But at the same time, I would introduce kids to alternative things that they can do like reading books and you know playing outside so provide kids with alternatives so you know my kids I I have two daughters and they in our household we were they were raised without television we didn't have a TV um, my my husband um, he's European he's from Austria and we, Lived in Germany for a while and then moved back to the U.S. and he said, "Sure, he'll come to the U.S., but the condition is no television wow. for the kids." So they were raised without TV, and at first they rebelled; they they didn't like it. And um, but then they got used to it. Yeah. But we would go to the library, take a, get a big bag of books, and they would go through these books throughout the week, and they both developed a love for, for reading books, even to this day.
0: Yeah.
1: And I think if, if I didn't do that, if they had TV, if, you know, we didn't restrict screen time for them, uh, they, they wouldn't have developed that, that love for books. So they appreciate life off screen. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I I think the best thing we can do for our kids is to um, teach them to appreciate all all the the wonders of the world that they can experience off screen. Yeah. So things like reading books, being outside, um talking to you people, know, be using your imagination. Yeah.
0: yeah. 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 Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, it's tough cuz when you're that parent with the kid on the plane who's so bored and after sitting still for 4 hours and your kid is crying and everybody's looking at you and you know that if you just put on some Dora's adventure, whatever. I'm not at the stage where I know kids' <laughs> TV shows. You know that they're going to be quiet, and it's it's. I think it's just technology and social media. And then you got the teenage years where all, there's all the social media bullying, and oh, I'm so glad I didn't grow up with social media. So I think it's I could do a whole another episode on parenting and technology because it's another variable that's made parenting even harder in in so many ways. So I'll just, uh, I'll I'll leave that there and maybe that'll be a future conversation. I I wanted to to end with um, a question that's more relational. I I hear from many people um, that they're jealous of their partner's phone, that they have a partner that just seems to be on their phone a lot when they want, you know, those more intimate time. And I don't just mean physical intimacy. I just mean connection time. But it always feels like there's a third person in the room, which is the phone. So if we have someone in our life who is on their phone a lot, um, whether it's a partner or even our kid, what's a way that we can broach the conversation without – because a lot of times people that have an addiction to their phone don't realize they have the addiction. They just think it's normal and they don't realize how it's impacting people. So what would be a way that we can broach that conversation with people of like we're not getting enough attention because your attention always seems to be on your phone?
1: Well, the the best thing to do is is to talk to people, and um, I I always believe that if you provide an alternative to people, mm. so that they they can see there there is an alternative to this this bad habit that I'm doing. So the alternative could be en- engage the person in a conversation, and ask them during this conversation you you need to put your phone in another room. So get get the phone out of sight because it's too much of a temptation if the phone is right there. So you actually bring it into another room and then let's sit down and have a conversation or let's do an activity. Let's go for a walk, but you leave your phone at home, and you're you're teaching. It's just like we would teach kids that there all are alternatives to you know screen time. You know it's it's conveying to your partner and your loved one that you know w- we can have a life we we can have interaction without this this tool in front of us so i i would be very honest and i would say look you know i i i would and i would be very positive and say i would love to be able to interact with you to have a great conversation but i I can only do it really well if you leave your phone at home or put your phone in another room it's It's interfering with our ability to have a really deep and important conversation. and you, you probably have to keep reminding your partner of this because you know, just saying it once is is not going to work. But you know, if you keep reminding them it's it's a way of teaching. And it's also a way of expressing your own feelings, and I think that's really important. Yeah. To say, look, I, you know, I, I'm thinking of the two of us. I want us to have a a great relationship, great conversations, and we can do this if the phone is
0: <laughs> right. Is not you know, a, not a third party in the not conversation. Not a third party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Oh well, this has been so fascinating, and I know people. Um, can learn so much more uh, when they go get your book, Attention Span, which I imagine is available at Amazon and in all the, the book places. Um, where else can people connect with you? or Are there any other resources, Gloria, that you want to send people to?
1: Sure. So uh, you can come to my website, which is www.gloriamark.com. It's all one word, Gloria Mark. And I have a newsletter you can sign up for where I talk about these kinds of topics. You can learn more about the book. You can uh, contact me. I'd love to hear comments. But it's an important topic. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I hope that we can raise people's awareness. Um, And as you said, Christine, you know, we're, we're living in the digital age. The ship has sailed. Yeah. we we can't drop out. So instead we we have to learn how we can live with technology and be and and achieve psychological well-being. That's yeah. that's the real key.
0: Yeah, cuz I notice, you know, I I love doing Zoom events and I love that I can connect with people around the world digitally. But I still host in-person events because there's nothing like them. Yeah. Like the way that I feel and people feel after an in-person event versus a Zoom event you can just have an amazing experience. And I try to create as much connection as I can over the computer. There's nothing like being in a room with people. And I don't want us to lose sight of that and lose touch of that. And I think especially with the pandemic, we really just have moved, in my opinion, too far away from being with people. So I hope that, you know, I'm kind of hoping my daughter's generation will bring the old-fashioned quote-unquote ways of <laughs> life back of like you go visit someone and you plant your food and you walk somewhere and you, you know, don't text someone. You actually knock on their door. You know, I'm, I'm hoping that maybe there will be a resurgence and we can have technology as um, a way to support us but not something that consumes us. So I appreciate and acknowledge the work that you're doing and thank you for Being here today and providing us resources and reminding us that, you know, if we, if our attention is too much on technology, it can really impact us in negative ways. And I think we all know that, but it's good to be reminded of it. So, so thank you. Before I go, I I just wanted to
1: say one more thing when you asked about kids and technology use. So as young kids are developing, they gain a sense of their bodies movement through space and how their body is oriented in space, it's a kind of sense that's developed. And when kids are in front of screens, you know, sitting, they're they are not giving themselves a chance to develop this kind of sensory experience in, in the same way that you learn when, when you're walking or running, your body is moving through space. And it's a way to basically to learn about our body's relationship with Mm. the environment. But we're sitting in front of a screen and we're we're still and we're not moving. And so this is, you know, it really denies young people a chance to develop this kind of sensory experience. Mm. Mm.
0: So, so important. Thank you for adding that in. Appreciate you so much. Sure.